Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. Matthew 22, 35 through 40, in the hour or so that we've got left together. I'm kidding. I wish. I was talking to my mom last night, and we were talking about watch night services and, and how those, you know, you don't really see churches having watch night services anymore. And I told her that that was the longest sermon I'd ever preached. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I preached a little over two hours at a, at a watch night service several years ago. And she said, really? I said, yeah. I said, unusually enough, they never asked me back. <laughs> so. Listen, beloved, God calls us to, to, to just, I mean, there's so many songs, you know. Stephen Curtis Chapman, saddle up your horses. We've got a trail to blaze, okay? Saddle up your horses. You know, we've just got this amazing adventure that God wants to call us on. Y'all are going to wonder how in the world I'm getting that out of, out of our text this morning. It's a very familiar text. It's so familiar that if you don't have your Bible with you, you can just read it from my tie, okay, because it's on my tie this morning. It's a text that, that, that we're very familiar with. It talks about uh, Jesus. Listen to me, beloved. You want to memorize the entire Bible, okay? You want to memorize the entire Bible. Memorize our, our scripture this morning. And Jesus tells us, you have memorized the entire Bible. Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. And in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst. God, we just ask that as you illumine the heart and mind of Matthew, when you gave to him this perfect and infallible recollection of what Jesus said and did, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well, that God, 2023 would be a different year for everyone that's part of this service whether they're watching it online, whether they'll watch it later, whether they're in person. God, it doesn't matter. We pray that 2023 will be a completely different year for all of us because of what we've heard you say to us here this morning. God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. We offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's become my habit over the last few years since we... Uh, adopted loving God, loving each other, loving the world as as our motto, as the theme for our ministry at Concord Baptist Church, that either as the last sermon of the old year or the first sermon of the new year to preach a message just kind of recasting, re-anchoring us uh, where we are. Can I tell you a secret? Every verse in the Bible deals with either loving God, loving each other, or loving the world. Every single verse. So the, the, the range of texts that I have this morning, and, and I got to tell you, you know, I got up early yesterday morning because I knew Angie and I were going to have to go to Elizabethton to, to minister to John and Cheryl. 
and, and I wasn't going to have uh, the opportunity to write my sermon before I left, but I got up early. I've been praying, and, and we're going to mention a couple of verses from 1 John in a couple of hours, but, but, but anyway, I was going to preach from 1 John 4. That, that was where I felt, you know, all of this was best. And God just kept leading me back, leading me back to these verses from Jesus in Matthew 22. Because as I mentioned, Jesus himself said in, in, in verse 40, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus said that what I just taught you is the entire what you and I call the Old Testament in two verses. We try to make it so hard. Why do we try to make it so hard? Listen, if it's hard, we have an excuse when we fail. If it's hard, we have an excuse for not even trying. Okay? You know? Why am I no good at the piano? Because I never practiced. Okay? I mean, I know the keys. I know how to read the music. But my fingers, they, they don't have that muscle memory from having spent the hours at the keyboard. Why? Because in my mind, it was too hard. It was too hard. And so I just never tried. Listen, beloved, Jesus is calling us. Jesus is calling us on a grand adventure with him. He is calling us to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. Why? Because everything that we do as Christians flows out of that. Okay? Do you understand? Do you understand? There is absolutely, there is zero point in trying to love our neighbor until we have first loved God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul. Why? I cannot give you something I do not have. Does that make sense? I can't give you something I don't have. And Jesus is saying that you've got to have that love for God first. And out of that flows everything else. So Matthew tells us in verse 35. Now, this was one of those... You know, I, I was watching a show the other night. I don't remember what it was. It was a Western of some kind. And, and the, the, the point of, Angie's going, wait, you were watching something other than, you know, an air disaster or law and order or something, you know? <laughs> Where was I? Yeah. I was watching this Western, and the, and the point of this Western was this guy would come into town, and, and, and when he would come into town, he would set up where he would fight someone in the town for money. Okay, and that's how he made his living, was fighting people. And so this is kind of that kind of situation. Jesus comes into town, and, and, the, and the leaders, the religious leaders, decide, I'm going to try to take on the champion. Because, listen, if I can take on the champion and take him down, then I'm the biggest guy in town. I'm number one. Everybody's going to respect me. Okay? Everybody's going to respect what I say and what I do because when I walk through town, they're going to go, there's that guy that took Jesus down. And that's what they wanted. Now, when you and I read the word lawyer, 
we think something completely different, okay? You know, we think you're in trouble. That you're you're in trouble. And, and you need somebody to, to represent you. That's not the kind of lawyer that we're talking about at all. Okay, when you read lawyer in the New Testament, think seminary graduate. Think theologian. Okay, an expert in the law, not in the civil law, but in religious law. He knew what the Word of God said. Okay? He knew, well, he knew the words. Let's put it that way. He came to Jesus to ask him a question. And let me ask you a question. Did this guy care about the answer? He did not. He did not. He did not care. The only reason, the only way he possibly would have cared is if Jesus had answered this question so spectacularly bad. Okay? Listen, let me, let me put it to you in terms that, that we might be able to identify with. If in this room, and I understand not everybody is, is, is on board with this, but if in this room I said, who should be playing in the championship game? Most Tennesseans or those that root for the Vols believe that we got gypped and shouldn't have been ranked as low as, as we were and taken out of the possibility to be able to play for the national championship. Okay? And so if somebody in this room said, well, yeah, I believe that TCU is a better team than UT, we'd go, are you insane? And we'd argue with them. We'd argue with them. Because why? In our estimation, they gave the wrong answer. It may be the right answer. But in our estimation, it was the wrong answer. And so the only way this guy is concerned about anything that Jesus says is if Jesus says that, that, that you know, gives that the greatest commandment is something other than what he believes is the greatest commandment. And so that's what he's looking for. He's not looking for an answer to his question. So we have one of the great theologians of Jesus' day come to him to ask him a question, and Matthew tells him he's testing him. And the word means to obtain information to be used against a person by trying to call someone to make a mistake or to try to trap. It would be like me going to a guy and saying, you're not still beating your wife, are you? Because no matter how he answers the question, I've trapped him, right? If he just says no, oh, well, you used to beat her? Okay, right? That's the kind. That's what this guy is trying to do to Jesus. He had zero interest in having his heart. Listen, we're late in Matthew's gospel, right? We're in chapter 22. Jesus has done a lot of miracles. He's done a lot of signs. This guy's heard about them. He may have even seen some of them done. He's seen the same thing that the apostles have, but his heart refuses to be changed. And you know what Jesus did? He says, I'll tell you what. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap up the first four commandments into one commandment. Verse 36. And I'm going to tell you to do that. 
that you should love the Lord your God. I'm sorry, go on to the next one, 37. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Do you understand? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Everything. Don't hold anything back. Everything. Now, listen. We have a problem with that, right? We have a problem because we don't really understand that. We use the word love in our, in our culture to mean a, a variety of things that have nothing to do with love. We've also been convinced by popular music, music that love is an emotion. It's not. It includes an emotional response, but love is not purely an emotion. It's a choice. It's a choice. Listen, beloved, for God so loved the world, right? We studied in Sunday school this morning. So God had an emotional response to us. Is that are, are we comfortable with saying God had an emotional response? I'm not comfortable with that, beloved. Why? Because if God's love for me is based upon emotions, then that means that there was something I did that caused his emotions to turn favorably toward me. What's the other side of that equation? If there was something that I did that could favorably turn God's emotions toward me, then that implies that there is something I could do that would turn his, his emotions away from me. And I don't know what they call that where you come from, but where I come from, they call that heresy. God loves us unconditionally. God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son. Listen, that is God showing to us that he loves us exclusively. Exclusively. And God wants us to love him exclusively, to be all in for him. Our minds must only be anchored to His Word. Our souls must be satisfied only with what pleases Him. Our strength must be spent on what serves Him alone. John, in 1 John 2.15, tells us, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John is telling us we've got to love God exclusively. We have to love God exclusively. Listen, a surpassing love of God can keep us from trading away an eternity spent with him for a bowl of soup. Y'all know what I'm referring to? Jacob and Esau? Okay. This guy comes to Jesus and he is willing to trade away spending an eternity with God for the opportunity to be able to trip Jesus up. Let's unpack real quickly what Jesus said. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. These verses come right before the giving of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus 20. God says, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. 
See, God is saying that the way that we demonstrate our love for Him is by obedience to His commandments. Jesus said that they will know you are my disciples by the way that you keep my commandments. Listen, we can't know someone or we can't love someone that we don't know. Does that make sense? We can't... Now... I know that, that Hollywood and all that, they want people to go all crazy about the latest singing sensation and think that we have some kind of emotional relationship with them. You don't. You like their music. Okay, let's just be honest. You like their music. But you don't have an emotional relationship with them. You can't love them. Why? Because you don't know them. You don't know them. And so to, to love God, we have to get to know Him. And the way we get to know Him is through prayer. We ought to be eager to pray. We ought to be eager to study God's Word. We ought to be eager to honor and obey God in all things and share Jesus with others. Verse 39. Jesus then moves on. He says, okay, I wrapped up the first four commandments. Okay. Those of you that want to memorize the Word of God, no other gods, no idols, the name of the Sabbath. That's the first four commandments. Okay? Jesus then says he's going to wrap up the next six commandments. Parents kill adultery, steal, lie, covet. That's how you can memorize the Ten Commandments, what I just gave you. No other gods, the name. I'm sorry, no other gods, no idols, the name. The Sabbath. Parents kill adultery, steal, lie, covet. You should be able to uh, quote the Ten Commandments from there. Jesus says that our love for others first flows out of our love for God. That our priority, that our priority in our lives ought to be to love God. To, to get to know God because to know God is to love Him. To know the gift that God has given to us is to love Him, is to adore Him. And so Jesus is calling us to a love relationship with God. And when we are so blessed with that relationship with God, when we are filled to overflowing, and listen, beloved, you get into a love relationship with God, you're going to get filled to overflowing. Because God is God and you are not. And He's going to fill you to overflowing with that love relationship. And that love relationship then naturally flows out of our life into the lives of those that are closest to us. 1 John 4.10 tells us this. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is those big theology words that simply means to be the total sacrifice, the total satisfaction for our sins. Total, not, not a propitiation. Listen, beloved, not a propitiation. If you believe in baptismal regeneration, then you've made Jesus to be a propitiation. He's just one among many. Or he's just one among a couple. The Bible won't support that. The Bible says Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. He is the satisfaction for our sins. There is no other. Jesus died for every one of us. Jesus' life, His ministry, His death, His burial, and His resurrection shows that God deeply and unconditionally loves us. We're going to close real quickly right here. 
You know, Satan loves a church in disarray. Hmm. He loves a church in disarray. You know what? Satan's not one of those. He doesn't need to hear his name called. He just wants to see a church in disarray. Not in disarray enough that they're in danger of splitting. Okay? Because then everybody can point to it and say, Satan did that. He just wants the church in enough disarray that there's not that, that spirit of love going on. Now, y'all remember a story that Jesus told in Luke 10, verses 30 through 37. It's a very familiar uh, uh, parable that Jesus said. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, we're not going to go back over that again because everybody knows it. But you know what's really amazing? Look what comes the, the very next thing in Luke 10, 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. There's a problem. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted by the world. Martha wasn't full in on Jesus. You understand what that's saying? Martha's not full in. Mary is. Martha's not all in. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister is all in and I'm not? That's what she's asking. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said to her, Martha, Martha. Oh. How many of y'all in my family, Lawrence Edward? Mm, you just kind of turned around and assumed the position because if you got called by first name and last name, it wasn't good. Okay? It wasn't good. You knew. Because then this is for cell phones. You start going back through your mind. Okay, what do they know? How much do I confess to? Okay? Martha, Martha, you are worthy or worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let me ask you a question. I'm inventing a new word. Which one of these two women was samaritan samaritan that's a new word. Mary was samaritan wasn't she? She was doing the good thing. She was all in for Jesus. She was giving all of her attention to Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Martha loving her neighbor? She is not. She is not loving her neighbor as she loves herself. Jesus told us in Matthew 20, 28 that he came to serve but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So for you to love your neighbor as yourself, then you too are called to serve. We live in a day and age when offense is as common as breathing. Man, you can't even go into some churches and raise a hand without causing offense. Yeah, I won't go there. You can't go some places within Christendom and say I'm a Southern Baptist without causing offense. Criticism is running rampant. Paul wrote a whole chapter. We use it at weddings a lot, but and it's okay to do that, but that's not the context that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 13. 
What I'm trying to tell you is that love is not easily offended. Love is not critical. Can I get a witness? Everybody does dumb things. We're all a work in progress. I want you to understand that forgiveness is a big deal to God. Ephesians 1.4, look at what Paul said. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless. Let me, let me translate that for you, holy and blameless. That we would be forgiven before Him. How? In love. In love. Forgiveness is a big deal to God. Jesus frequently spoke forgiveness over others that resulted in the healing of their bodies. Forgiveness is freely given to us. Amen? Forgiveness is freely given to us, and we are called to pass it on. Jesus tells us that love always forgives. We all need forgiveness, so loving your neighbor is to forgive them as you love them. Loving the world. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a fellowship like that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a fellowship that was characterized by passionate and and an exclusive love for God that they were being so filled up with the love of God that it was overflowing into everyone that came in contact with somebody in that fellowship? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a fellowship like that? You see, our problem is that we believe that evangelism is getting people to be like us. It's not. Evangelism is getting people to be like Jesus and trusting Him to make the changes. We love the world when we care for people outside of our fellowship, whether they're right here in Mohawk, whether they're in Belize, whether they're in Columbia, or anywhere else in the world. And that's why we give the Golden State to Annie Armstrong and to Lottie Moon. Loving God, loving each other, loving the world. What a grand adventure God wants to call us on this year. Let's have another great year of ministry together.